Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for joining me this week and this Bible episode. I have not done a Bible episode for the last two weeks. I don't know what happened. Things got kind of crazy on my Thursdays. So we're back. I will be catching up over the next few months to make sure to finish like by the end of 2021. We will be finishing the Bible at that time still. So I will make sure to catch up over the next few weeks. Um, so expect double Bible episodes uh, in the next couple weeks. Um, if you haven't already reviewed the podcast, make sure to go do that on Apple Podcasts. You can give it five stars. You can give it an actual like word review with your ranking, and that helps to boost um, the visibility of the podcast with this algorithm. So I would very, very much appreciate it if you did that and you haven't already. And thank you again for being here. So it has been a little bit since I've done a Bible podcast, been a couple weeks, as I mentioned, and I do not know what happened because I did all the notes for this one. I just hadn't recorded it yet. And now when I go back to my like Google doc of all of my Bible episodes, I don't see any of my notes, like at all, any of them. Um, and I had it all laid out. And I know this because I read Isaiah and it was like such a hard book for me to read for some reason. Like, I don't know. I, I never like kind of admitting that I don't like reading certain books of the Bible, but with Isaiah, it's like, so I thought I was looking forward to the book. I didn't really realize kind of what it was and the actual contents I feel like are very, very good. Like once you can sort through what he's saying, but it's so literary. It's like he's reading or writing this big poem and there's, you know, prophecies about all these different groups. And I kind of get confused about the different groups sometimes. And so I really did like try to push through and read like a bunch of Isaiah and take all these notes and try to really dissect them all and figure out what was going on. And I think I got most of the gist here. Um, but it was a t honestly a tough book to get through. So um, just to recap, today we're going through all of Song of Solomon's and then up until Isaiah 30. And so next week will be um, Isaiah 31 through Jeremiah 5. Um, so those are basically the weeks that we missed. So, um, okay, let me back up because I want to start with Song of Solomon's. But Anyway, I'm just going to go through and read like the intros, some of the chapters for each thing, and we'll make it through the, the episode without many notes because um, I kind of retyped some of them, but it's not going to be as in detail as the last ones. But luckily, I remember, I think, a lot of like the notes that I actually put for some of the, the chapters and things like that. So we'll get through it. I don't really know what happened, but we will talk about it. So let's go back. I keep calling it Song of Solomons, which is one kind of like alternate name for it. But what is in the NIV version is the Song of Songs. And this one is always, if you grew up in like a Christian circle or a Christian church or Christian like elementary, middle school stuff, this is like always the book that's like, oh, this is kind of like the the spicy book, you know, it's like kind of sexual and gets pretty explicit. And so this was kind of like the one where people were like, oh, this is the marriage book and stuff. But I never understood why it was in the Bible because, you know, I did hear the parallels kind of between like, um, a, like a bride and his and her husband. 
um, comparing us to like the bride and uh, Christ is the bridegroom, you know, so there's like similarities there, but I never really got why this was included. So I went back and read the intro and I just want to read the intro to um, on, like on the podcast so that we can all have like a full understanding of why this book is in the Bible and what the actual value it provides for Christians reading this part, not just like, ooh, it's a sexually explicit book. Um, like there is an actual spiritual purpose in this book. So this is what the intro of Song of Songs said. Traditional wedding celebrations in the Middle East cast the bride and groom in the roles of king of a king and his queen. The festivities include love songs and also special songs that praise the physical beauty of the bride or the handsomeness of the groom. The custom has a long history and is reflected in the anthology of wedding songs we know as the Song of Songs. The individual songs may have been used repeatedly in marriage celebrations and eventually gathered together just as the psalms were collected after years of use in worship. The title Solomon's Song of Songs can be taken to mean that King Solomon, a renowned composer, was the author of its songs. However, it could be also be a reference to Solomon as the king of glorious wait. However, it could also be a reference to Solomon as the kind of glorious king the groom represents. The songs are arranged to tell the courtship story of a man and woman of their marriage described as a royal wedding and its consummation and the beginning of their new life together. After a short introduction, the book presents six episodes, each typically ending with a reference to the friends of the man and woman. This may refer to others attending the wedding to join in the celebration. Together, the songs celebrate the delights of married life and the beauty of the human body using vivid imagery from the natural world to show that these things are part of the creation that God declared very good. Okay, so I might not break down like every um, chapter of Song of Songs, because like the intro said there's a short kind of intro and then it goes into like six mini subsections and they all kind of have this theme like like it said a lot of them praise the physical beauty so she says i am a rose of sharon a lily of the valleys um you know he is a lily or no he says to her like a lily among thorns is my darling among young women so it's like all these these praise songs the friends join in for most of these songs um a lot of these similes that they use or metaphors i guess are they compare like the bride and groom to nature so she's like a gazelle or um she's running through the hills she's like a flower it's all like these nature it's a lot of nature imagery and so like it said it's it's um you know, it talks about their early courtship, about how she yearns for the one that her soul will love, and then she finds the one her soul will love, and then they consummate the marriage and um, start their life together. So it's only eight chapters. It's pretty short, but I like the fact that there is something kind of like this in the book of the Bible, because I don't know, like, I think culture is maybe now swinging the other way, like American Christianity is swinging the other way where we are putting an emphasis on the fact that sex between a married couple is a good thing. Um, But I think a lot of people grew up in the church, like not thinking that at all. And a lot of people think that like sex is very bad or or dirty and it can be if it's outside of the, the, you know, out of the outside of the bounds of how God designed it, which is marriage which 
I'm going to do a whole episode on that too, because for a while I was like not convinced of that because I don't know about you if you've ever actually looked this up, but like I understand or I understood at least the fact that God said like one man and one woman for life. That makes sense to me because, you know, he said like, let what God put together, let no man separate. And, um, you know, all these different things where it's pretty clear in the Bible that you shouldn't be getting divorced or you shouldn't be just like sleeping around with a bunch of different people. That's pretty self-evident to me. What I wasn't convinced about for a long time was the fact that you had to wait for your wedding. So like if you were dating and you knew that you were going to marry this person and you could sleep with them beforehand, um, I was not convinced like that anywhere in the Bible said that you had to wait till your wedding day because some of these verses or some of the people that try to um, reason through that and show that the Bible says they have to wait till your wedding day, they give very, very, very weak arguments. I have since come around to the fact that yes, you should be waiting till your wedding day and it's a combination of what you find in the Bible and practical life applications and levels of stress and things like that. Um, so I have since come around to that, but for a long time, like in high school and college, I was like, is that what the Bible actually says? Like, I know you're only supposed to be with one person, but I don't know if the date matters. If like the state says that you're married now, if that matters. Anyway, that was a quite the tangent, but um, I'm going to be doing a full podcast episode about that because I have now like a solid list of reasons as to why waiting is the best uh, option and why I think that that's actually justified or like backed up using the Bible. So, um, but I I like that there's a book like this because it, it does show like that it is a positive thing in marriage um, and that it should be celebrated. It's part of God's design and all of those things. It's not something that Christians should be like afraid of or think, you know, if you think sex is dirty or whatever, um, it just has to be done in the right bounds and the bounds that God put on it, which is in marriage. So, um, yeah, pretty short book, but that is Song of Songs. Lots of talk of beauty and gardens and nature and things like that. Okay. So then, uh, then we go into Isaiah and again, as I mentioned before, this was a very like way harder book for me to read than normal. And so I might not go through like all of them without notes. Cause I might have to go re, you know, re look at my notes. So my plan is to go up to Isaiah 30 Um, just like a brief summary. Most of it is just prophecies against certain groups or prophecies for certain groups. So I'll read little chunks and we'll talk about it. But I want to read the intro first because that is also pretty interesting and give some good historical context to the book of Isaiah. So this says, the prophet Isaiah addressed the kingdom of Judah for 40 years, beginning in the year that King Uzziah died and continuing to at least the and continuing at least to the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem in 701 BC. As with all the prophets, Isaiah based his message on the deep covenant bond between God and his people Israel. Prophets typically delivered their messages by composing oracles, poetic speeches they recited in public. 
Unlike some other prophets, Isaiah had personal access to the kings of his day. He was able to bring godly counsel to kings Ahaz and Hezekiah when the powerful Assyrian Empire threatened the life of the nation. Isaiah maintains an international perspective throughout his book, revealing that Israel's life is bound up with the affairs of the broader world. Isaiah urges the people to care for the poor and needy, commit to follow God's ways, and pursue social and economic justice. In typical poet prophetic pattern, he speaks of coming judgment because of Israel's failure, but also of promised restoration and moving from Israel to the wider world. God's correction is in the service of renewal. Isaiah's later oracles introduce the complex figure of the servant whose personal sacrifice brings healing. These servant songs fit into the bigger picture of Israel's return from exile and the Lord's return to his people and the nation's turning to God. New Testament writers will turn to Isaiah often to explain how Israel's ancient commission was uh, to bring blessing to the world was fulfilled. Okay, so uh, yeah, so this is like a very highly referenced book. I saw a lot of verses in here that I have seen before, but I ha had never really known where this fit into the context of the entire Bible. So this is, again, the prophecies of like uh, Israel's destruction, but then also restoration. So it really gives a good summation of this. So Isaiah 1 is, he is given a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Um, and he talks about this rebellion nation that Israel has been. He says how much he really drives home the point, how much they've rebelled against the Lord. Um, it says, woe to a sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turn their backs on him. So like he does not pull any punches here. He is really, really uh, straightforward saying how uh, disobedient basically that Israel has been. And he, I mean, Isaiah 1 is a long chapter and he, the entire thing is talking about how, um, how disobedient they have been. Okay, then Isaiah 2, the title of this is The Mountain of the Lord. So he then talks about in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. So this is kind of about the restoration, how he will then teach them um, his ways again. And um, there will be this day of the Lord. So, so what this day of the Lord is, is basically this day where all the people who hadn't followed the Lord will be humbled. So this says, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. Um, let's see, the arrogance of man will be brought low and the human and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. The people will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. So this is like his big kind of coming back moment where he's redirecting, um, he's redirecting everyone back to him. And then this is a verse I really, really liked, verse 22. So this is Isaiah 2, 22. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? And that is a great verse. That's going to be one of my new favorites because we do that so much. Like it's so easy to get, you know, a doctor's opinion or um, a politician's opinion or 
you know, someone who's just a mere human and you hold them, you hold their opinion in a higher esteem than God. So if the doctor says, oh, you have this, we trust that more than in God's word that says you're healed, you know? So there's a lot in that, but we need to stop trusting in mere humans and trust more in God. Okay, in Isaiah 3, it says judgment on Jerusalem and Judah. That is the title of this um, of this chapter. So again, it says, see now the Lord, the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and all supplies of water, the hero and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the div- diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor, skilled craftsman, and the clever enchanter. Um, basically, he's saying that things are going to go south. People are going to oppress each other, neighbor against neighbor. People will be rising against each other. And there is just going to be judgment based on all of these sins that they had committed. So I think a lot of times we like to talk about how God is a loving God and God is Um, merciful and all these things. And he is. But this book really reminds you that he's also a God of justice. And so before, you know, Jesus has been here and all these things, it's like there were a lot of bad things that the Jewish people had done. They had turned away from the Lord. And so this is the day of judgment um, because of that. So then Isaiah 4 talks about the branch of the Lord. And it says, In that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion will, who remain in Jerusalem will be called holy, all who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. So this is talking about the Holy Spirit coming. This is talking about the restoration of Israel. And this is like it said in the intro, after it talks about the destruction of Israel, it talks about its restoration and people coming back and the people who remain in Israel. So then it goes into songs. So there's um, a song in Isaiah 5, the song of the vineyard, and then the woes and the judgments song. Uh, So let me read. This says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has it. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. Um, So anyway, this song goes on and on, but this is the song of the, the vineyard. And then it compares that vineyard to the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. So it's this big parable, but it's in song form. So it's talking about how God is growing, you know, the people of Israel and how he delights in them. And again, it's about this restoration. And then there's another section, the woes and judgment section, which says, woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants, all these things. Um, And so this is talking a lot about death and deceit and, you know, 
Well, this is where also there was a very good verse in chapter, oh my gosh, I keep mixing up the words chapter and verse, but it's in chapter five, but it's a great verse, which is verse 20. And this is kind of what the main verse that came to my mind was and what a lot of people were posting after the uh, Texas abortion bill got passed. And so the uprising was so intense and so many people were were terrified of this law um, or very sad that it went into effect. And the verse is, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for, for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. So this is kind of a song of wisdom because it keeps going with those things. Woe who those... Uh, what are those who do this and this and this, deny justice, do these things. But the woe to those who call evil good and good evil really stuck out to me because I felt an overwhelming sense of that happening when this abortion bill went into effect. So, okay, let's see. Isaiah 6 is Isaiah's commission. This is more of a, a history sort of chapter. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Above him were seraphim, seraphim, which are, I think, angels, uh, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they called to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, if you remember back in the Catholic Mass, uh, read through episode that I did that holy 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 part is what they use for mass so that's sung as a like an answer in part of the mass so that was interesting that's from Isaiah's commission vision and this is talking about how he was called to be a prophet he said like these um, angels came to him and we're declaring this. And he says, woe to me, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. And he says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. He asks, you know, whom he heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah answered, here I am. This is another very popular thing in churches where it's like, you have to be open to the calling that God is calling you to or the the vocation I guess that God is calling you to and they always talk about Isaiah and this who who shall I send here I am send me that's a very common sort of thing that we learn about I didn't even really realize it was in Isaiah I don't think so that was cool to see and and even he says like I am a man of unclean lips I've done nothing and then God came into his life, atoned him of his sins, and then he was able to go be one of the most influential prophets there was. Okay, then he prophesies about the sign of Emmanuel. So he, a lot of the prophecies of Jesus also came from Isaiah. And so he talks about, let me go scroll down because I had this in my notes, but now it is not in my notes. But he prophesies Emmanuel. Let me pull up a verse. Okay, I found it. I just had to scroll a little bit. So 
the setup of this was, let me read part of the setup before this prophecy of Jesus actually coming, because he was told, um, now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out you and your son to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct in the upper pool on the road to launderer's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. Uh, basically, they're plotting against him, saying, let's invade, let's tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves. But the Lord then, through Isaiah, I mean, Isaiah prophesied that the Lord said, um, this will not happen for the head of Aram is Damascus. The head of Damascus is only resin within 65 years. Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. Uh, and so stand firm in your faith. This is not going to happen, even though they're threatening to hurt you or attack you. And this is also a very good verse. It says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And I know that you can just take verses out of context, but that one out of context even works, I feel like. Um, that is just universal wisdom, I feel like. And it just, you have to stand firm in your faith, especially, I mean, I say especially now, but there have been bad times before this. Like, there have been a lot of things going on in the world before COVID and before this kind of political stuff in Afghanistan and there's a lot of ha things happening and it's I think a tendency for us to say like oh in these unprecedented times and forget that really terrible things have happened before us too before this time and so it's j it this is relevant all throughout history but it, it's so correct if you do not stand in your faith you will not stand at all and I think now is a very large time, like a very crucial time that we need to be standing in our faith. And that is in Isaiah 7, 9. Okay, so then um, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask the Lord your God for a sign. Ahaz says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah said, here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of God also? <laughs> Which is funny, like God told Ahaz to ask for a sign. He goes, I'll show you a sign, At, just ask me. And Ahaz goes, no, I don't want it. I will not put my God to the test. Even though God told him to just do this. And Isaiah goes, Isaiah is getting so frustrated. He's like, oh, first you're testing me. Now you're, or now you're wearing on our patience, basically. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. But uh, the Lord himself, Isaiah says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. So he says essentially that Jesus will be sinless, he will know God his whole life, and he will be born of a virgin. So that's his first prophecy of Jesus. Uh, so that was a cool verse or chapter. Isaiah 8, um, Isaiah 8's title is called Isaiah and His Children as Signs. It said, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen. I cannot pronounce this name. Um, but 
He says, so I called in Uriah the priest and Zechariah son of Jeberkiah as reliable witnesses for me. Then I made love to the prophetess and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to name him the name that he had just written on that scroll. So Isaiah has a son. The Lord then spoke again and said, because the people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over resin, uh, it will overflow all its channels. So the mighty Euphrates, it says, will, or the Euphrates will have mighty floodwaters and everything's going to flood because, again, they're not obeying. So um, this is another verse that has really been talked about a lot recently that I've noticed is Isaiah 8, uh, let's see, Isaiah 8, 16. It is, it says, bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face. Oh wait, that might not be the one. <laughs> Never mind. I thought this talked about like, um, binding the words around your neck and wearing them like rings around your fingers and stuff like that and keeping the word at the forefront. We've been talking a lot about that in my Bible study, but I misread and that is not this verse. <laughs> so, um, okay. So then Isaiah 9, it says, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. This is talking more about the redemption. And I think referencing Jesus because he just prophesied that Jesus would be coming and that Jesus is going to be the answer kind of for all of this. Then it talks about the anger that is against Israel because of this pride and this spirit that the um, Israelites have and how they've turned away from him. Again, there's another kind of part of this that says, woe to those who make unjust, unjust laws, to those who issue depressive decrees, uh, things like that. Then... Isaiah goes on this kind of spree where he is prophesying against certain groups. So this one, he's talking about God's judgment on Assyria. And then, okay, Isaiah 11 has another, I think, this is another prophecy about Jesus. It says, a branch from Jesse. It said, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And so, yeah, I believe that this is talking again about Jesus and how he's going to come and, you know, be a sacrifice and restore the people. We then go into a song of praise in Isaiah 12, which is a very good one to go have a read through. Okay, this is where he goes into the prophecies against each specific group. So this one is a prophecy against Babylon. Uh, so the Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They come from faraway lands. Well, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction. So this is kind of a similar thing that happens to a lot of these groups. So that's the prophecy against, what was that? Babylon. Then we go to Isaiah 14. It's still prophesying against Babylon, I believe. Let's see... This is a prophecy against the Philistines at the end of Isaiah 14. Then we move into a prophecy against Moab. It's all about these groups' destruction because they went against the Lord and against the Israelites. 
Um, and so after the Israelites have been restored, these are prophecies against the groups that kind of went against them. And they say it, the reason why this is so hard for me to get through is just because it seems like most of these prophecies are pretty much the same. It's all about the destruction of them. Like you'll become a heap of ruins. Um, the fortified city will disappear, but they say it in a bunch of different prophetic or poetic ways. So they describe the ruin of each place in great detail, but very poetically and different every time. So it kind of got repetitive. Like, I don't know. Like, you, your vineyards will be destroyed. This will be destroyed. You will have no regard for the Asherah poles. So, I don't know. There's just a lot of prophecies against different groups. It is good to read, but it, do, it did take me a lot of time to, like, go through and dissect and really make sure I was understanding what was happening and what each thing um, was saying, like, what these prophecies were regarding. If it was Jesus, if it was um, just their return from exile, things like that. So, okay, Isaiah 18 is a prophecy against Cush. Then there's a prophecy against Egypt, a prophecy against Egypt and Cush in Isaiah 20. Another prophecy against Babylon, a prophecy about Jerusalem. So this is not uh, against Jerusalem. All the other ones said a prophecy against X place. This is a prophecy about Jerusalem. So this says a prophecy against the Valley of Vision. Uh, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, has a day of turmoil and trampling and terror in the Valley of Vision, a day of battering down walls and crying out mountains. The Lord has stripped away the defenses of Judah. The Lord Almighty called you on that day to weep and wail, to tear out your hair and put on sackcloth, which is the grieving um, rituals. Uh, but see, there is joy and revelry, slaughtering of cattle and killing of sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, you say, for tomorrow we die. Um, and so, okay, so this is a prophecy again about uh, Jerusalem. It says, I will, drive a peg, I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will become a seat of honor for the house of his father. All the glory of his family will hang on him, its offspring, its offshoots, all his lesser vessels from the bulls to the jars. So this is talking, I think, about, let's see. In that day, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. Okay, so this is talking about the king of Israel and how he will not be, like he'll be um, overtaken or I guess succeeded by his son. Okay, there's a prophecy against Tyre. Then it talks about the Lord's devastation of the earth. He, again, will it'll be totally plundered, it says. Uh, the people must bear their guilt. They do not drink wine with a song. The beer is bitter to its drinkers. So it talks about this destruction because of the justice of the Lord. Okay, then in a very kind of 180, there's a praise song to the Lord. They were talking about the destruction of the earth. And then there's this long, well, kind of long praise song about how good he is, how perfect he is. He's done many wonderful things. Um, so that's a very good verse. And let's see, we have just a couple one. Okay. There's another song of praise in Isaiah 26. 
Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. So it's a praise about him destroying his enemies and also restoring Israel. And then it goes into the deliverance of Israel. So this is the part where I need to probably go back into my notes and like take more notes about the deliverance of it because a lot of that early part was the destruction. You know, a lot of them are kind of repetitive, but the deliverance of Israel is kind of its own section. And so I'm going to end the podcast here and just do that destruction part of it. And then next week I will go from Isaiah 24 all the way to you know the planned end of next week so we'll leave it here for today sorry i was two weeks late on bible verses or bible um episodes but we are going to be back on track be expecting a few in quick succession here so um thank you all so much for listening again go rate the podcast on apple Podcasts if you like it and go follow me on instagram abby rancor i have two instagrams right now one that's like abby underscore rancor and one that's abby rancor one of them's kind of my personal one and one of them's my millennial learns ish one i'm thinking of just making them one so if you actually go follow me do abby rancor no underscore but there might be only one in the near future anyway. So um, that's all for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. I will talk to you later. Bye.